this is my second podcast of the day. This is Frank, and I have Brandon with me. It's just going to be the two of us midday, us weird shift-type workers, right? Brandon, you got, what, two hours of sleep? Oh, no, I got about four and a half after my night shift. Man, you look like you got six. Oof, that's a compliment. Yeah, that's a compliment. I'm, so, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling three and a half. <laughs> well, thanks for being on, man. This is, what, Monday? Is it Monday? I forget what day it is. It's probably I think it's day. August. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah, it's August because the weather sucks. Um, so we are just a couple of these podcasts. This is Brandon Lawrence. He's an MD in the local ER. He has a couple side projects doing the wealthy.com, which we did the sports podcast, which was, which was huge recently. He's also got another business that's uh, lining up that we'll talk about in the future. Um, this is just a couple of these podcasts. You can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, just a couple of dudes with a K and then jackedpod.com. And then you can also see us on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, which I think we have like three viewers so far. So I just think that's killing it in the YouTube market. <laughs> yeah, man, we're just storing it until someone finds it. Well, I'll tell my mom, then we'll be at four. Oh man, I can't wait. My mom yeah. always supports me too. So <laughs> today's podcast, man, is about healthcare abuse and safety, which I think we can talk about. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, it's, uh, I think people don't understand how prevalent and how uh, out of control it is, right? I don't know how long, but a long time. Yeah, and I would say in the ER, you know, where you did a bulk of your training and where I, I work is probably the most malignant. And I would say it's probably the highest burnout rate because of it between nurses and docs. Yeah, I could tell you both of us uh, personally care a lot and and we are, we're also outspoken. And due to that, we um, have a hard time, I think, with being mistreated, right? I mean, I, I don't... Mm -hmm hold my tongue a lot. I don't believe in that you're in pain and that means you should, you should, you should be able to physically or, emo or verbally abuse me. I just don't agree with that. Um, right. It, it's just a tough thing. Yeah. I try to remain, you know, as empathetic and kind of um, maybe set aside from the situation as I can. Uh, but sometimes, you know, they actually get very emotional and, and physically abusive and it's, it, it makes it difficult to just to not be reactive, you know? Mm -hmm. It is really hard. So I think this is gonna be a good episode. I think there's a big nerve we struck on social recently. Uh, it was just yesterday, actually, which people want to hear more about this want to advocate for them. Uh, I'm gonna do the good man segment real quick. So I wanted to bring up my dad. So um, my family's been through a lot lately, I'm not gonna go through it. But I just want to talk about uh, how lucky I am to have my dad. That's one of the big reasons I wanted to start this podcast is because a lot of people don't have a father that's there for them. Um, he's always been there for me growing up. He was the stoic guy. He was my hero next to Batman, Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Bond. So, I mean, it was him, right? I wanted to be a firefighter growing up. That's what he is. Uh, you know, uh, he, there was a period of time where I blamed him for a messy divorce when I was 16 and he was kind of really tough on me as being the, the oldest and the boy, but I didn't talk to him for six months, kind of was not nice to him. And he still plugged away. would work on my quad when I wasn't there. And I got kicked out of my house at 16 and I didn't talk to him for like, six months dude and he i called him and he left work actually missed the captain's test which he still never became a captain to come pick me up and just took me home so i mean i've always been able to have him there for me he's been there twice for both my trauma accidents i've had um he wasn't the most emotional but the, my dad's old school right <laughs> you know right. He's, he's not gonna just cry but he was there right mm -hmm. and um that's what matters I, yeah and it makes me want to hopefully give hope to other people out there there's good men good fathers good husbands out there so Anyways, that's a good man segment today. So I like it. Now, are we talking Michael Keaton, Batman? You know, man, I, he's so talented, right? <laughs> yep. Like when he's in the other guys and he's the Lowe's manager or Bed he's Bath and so Beyond, good. 
he, he's so chasing waterfalls. Yeah, and he's so straight faced, like Leslie Nelson. Like I would laugh. I couldn't just stay that. He's straight. so good. Yeah. What um, was the one he won the Academy Award for? Is it like was it Birdman? I never saw it. I'm oh, sure. It so was, weird. Was it? So weird. You should see it. I don't have. Uh, I like art, but I like more of a story. Like oh, the Joker like to this. me. Oh, like like? oh yeah because like the joker was one of the best movies i've ever seen in my life just it's, understand so I, I qualify that movie as the, the best movie i've ever seen that i'll never watch again i watched it twice but it's it wasn't just, it's, the second time well no it's so good it, it just emotionally affected me like, oh, I, I, I don't think i could go through it again like i was like the entire time just wide-eyed like mm-hmm. holy shit <laughs> i think what was weird about it is it, it made it the ultimate mental challenge because half of the movie you actually empathize with joaquin phoenix the joker you i would say until with. until he shoots de niro in the head you yeah that's yeah 90 percent of it yeah and even you, when you shoots... see the construct of the joker and and like you see that it's not his fault you see that it's you know maybe the mental health um facilities and and, and access to care in the united states is really what did him wrong yeah it was uh i mean we've seen schizophrenia right I mean, people mm-hmm. hear voices, have hallucinations, and you see the struggle they have and the way they're looked at, because you can pretty instantly see that they're struggling and yeah. people have a hard time empathizing with them because they don't know. And it's also really pretty prevalent. Um, but uh, yeah, man, that movie, when, when he shot him in the face, dude, I was not expecting that. No, that's, like, that was pretty shocking. I, I thought he was gonna blow his own head off and that was it. Yeah, and, and then you like, have the Joker spawn from what they saw on TV or something like that. Some, yeah, and I loved how they built like real life kind of in it with like the riots and like, yeah. I don't know, man. It, it was a really, I, I had low expectations starting it. Struck it a nerve in me. Yeah. I'll tell you that. I, I, I don't think I'll ever watch it again and I loved it. I gave it a 10 out of 10, but I, I really don't think I'll ever watch it again. Well, you just buy the Blu-ray and just have it? Probably not. I don't, uh, I don't even know if I want to look at it. Do, do they sell <laughs> I, Blu-rays anymore? Uh, probably maybe maybe if they have him best buy or something yeah maybe um okay so let's let's talk about healthcare abuse can i just rattle off some statistics and yeah w- one thing i think though real fast is yeah i think you said you didn't want to talk about what was going on but i think it's a perfect example of when there is frustration in healthcare how you mm-hmm. really should respond and react so i think keep that in mind when we get to this stuff is that maybe uh, you should give kind of yeah. your, your side of the story yeah, I just don't want to take away because it's not me, right? I'm the family member in this instance, but I, this is what I'll say. I'll say this. So it's been a very difficult time. I've been the trauma victim twice. I've also been the provider and the nurse, right? Like mm-hmm. in really intimate life and death situations. We've ran codes together, man. I mean, many people were dying and died all the time. You know, you yeah. always kept a very mild manner, which I always appreciated because it never got crazy. Like you were always like, it's not an emergency because we're in the ER. But mm-hmm. As the family, man, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've had someone that's like the number four in my life. If I had to rank people, my fave five, hashtag T-Mobile. But uh, <laughs> dude, see, seeing, being the family and being the provider, it's been one of the hardest things in the world because what can I do? Uh, I don't want to overstep my bounds. You know, I'm not the number one, I'm not the parent. Uh, it's, it's, my, it's my stepbrother, man. And he had a very serious accident. He's, not, he's more out of the woods now, but it's day to day. And some of the care has been so frustrating to see the lack of empathy, uh, to see the lack of competency. And I'm not, I'm not asking for, God, you know, TV doctors that are, you know, saving miracles. I'm asking for someone that cares, someone that is doing what the minimum is required. 
And it's been so hard to keep my mouth shut. I never raised my voice. I never called names. I never hit. Mm -hmm. And dude, I had reason to be angry and I have been. So it's, I don't know, man, it's, it's been such a trip as a, as a family member. That's sad. Yeah. It's probably the hardest. Yeah, me too. And I hopefully eventually we'll have him on as his story because I've had some crazy accidents, but he just three times me, (laughs) like makes my accidents look stupid. Like, um, but uh brandon what's like the last incident you can think of where you saw some abuse uh you know in the hospital setting uh well it happens frequently it happened a lot more often when i worked at the hospital i worked at with you previously because that patient population was just really difficult to to handle but um on an emotional level just a couple days ago um we had kind of a few things going on at the same time that was very taxing so uh, I had a lady come in that had um, a pneumothorax, so a, a collapsed lung for everybody. And this happened because of a shoulder surgery. It doesn't matter, but something happened with the regional block and she had a fully collapsed lung on the on the right. So I'm, I'm figuring out how to put a chest tube in this lady with a, an arm that's immobilized. And for people not in medicine, you have to put their arm over their head in order to successfully put in a, a, a chest tube. Mm-hmm. And uh, meanwhile, the, the lady in the room next door on the right is she's having some sort of psychotic break where she thinks bugs are crawling out of her skin. We, you know, Frank, you've probably seen patients like that. And she's mm-hmm. every three minutes or so wandering into the other rooms, you know, saying, look at these bugs, look at these bugs. And I've got this like very nice lady. Try, I'm trying to inspire confidence in, in me putting, you know, a big tube between the ribs of, you know, on, on the right side of her chest wall. And uh, this lady's wandering in every couple minutes. And then I've got next door, this other lady screaming at me for her chronic abdominal pain that I'm not treating her with narcotic medications. And, um, and then uh, they both end up just, just leaving because I'm not giving them the time while I'm trying to deal with an actual emergency and just kind of scream and berate me on their way out. So it's just, just unnecessary stress in an already kind of stressful situation with this other lady that's, you know, oxygen saturations are low and you can actually die from these sort of uh these sort of incidents with the with the collapsed lung so just not a not a fun situation and people add um you know increasingly more stress to it i could tell you uh we both worked at that hospital you talked about where the population was uh probably arguably known for being one of the worst populations in the state i could i think we could say that clearly maybe yeah, pretty close uh it's known for abuse it's known for drugs uh you know it's just a tough setting and um no matter what you do there's nothing you can really i don't know what you can do to improve a patient population that's just what surrounds you i don't know what you do you improve the community somehow right Mm -hmm. but uh it's been known for like 40 years it's not been good (laughs) so i mean yeah yeah a while a couple patients spit in my face there i had a, a a favorite doctor of mine i love him to death i don't know if i should use names but he he, uh, I was with him and I was looked up to him, man, because he always had my back in instances where I had a patient one time where she had a, she was young, she was like 21. It was so sad. She had HIV, but it was an AIDS, right? She was uh, wasting away and she was like dying, right? She had a severe pneumonia, probably like a infectious, like super infection with HIV. You know, you get those weird infections and it didn't look good. And I was trying to put a second IV and she got super mad at me that I poked her because she needed blood products and all this stuff. And I'm busy at this ER. And she starts screaming at me, dude, just screaming at me. I go, I'm just trying to help. And then her boyfriend threatens me. The doctor then defended me. And I was like, thank you, because no one else does. He didn't have to, but he did. 
you know, and it felt so cared for in that instance where I'm trying to help that, that patient left and they probably died on the way there because what can we do? Like, Mm -hmm. I can't strap you down. No, you can't force care. So, and that's the thing I've always said too, is like, if I had a bad day, if I had like a, you know, a seven or eight out of 10, like I know my nurse and and the techs had a 10 because they have, you know, far more one-on-one patient interaction with, with some of these kind of malignant patients, malignant people, if you will, because sometimes it's family members. Um, Where me, you know, I'm seeing overall more people. So I'm kind of bouncing from room to room, doing my notes, putting in orders. But like, I know you guys, you know, at least when you were a nurse, have to do the IV, you have to do the kind of one-on-one patient care. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's, it's frightening. So I had um, a gal when I worked over at another, uh, another hospital in the system that um, this, this guy actually cornered her in, in the room and was like, you know, approaching her to, uh, I, I'm not sure what he would have done, but fortunately one of our EMTs just happened to walk past and tackled the guy because she was, she was cornered in the room. There's nowhere he, she could have gone. Mm-hmm. So it's just, and it's terrifying. You know, I times. used, I used to work as a psychiatric nurse at St. Luke's and, um, just knowing the abuse in that industry is hard because they are there are issues with them some are voluntary involuntary um but there's been healthcare workers that have been raped there's been healthcare workers there's one at uh at one of the big hospitals that was beaten almost to death uh a female where she was cornered in a med room and those patients especially the involuntary meaning that they are forced to be there they don't have the staffing they don't have the correct staff that might be you know on cue that day or on point and they can trigger in a second mm-hmm. like that population the psychiatric is the severe psychiatric is mm-hmm. extremely scary and mm-hmm. often very violent very right which is sad right and in, in our environment we see some psychiatric stuff in the er usually at their worst right the er right. is not the best environment for psychiatric care for sure um we see their peaks but then you have like dementia right and yeah. like, we, we don't want to have a, a felony given there because again, they're just altered based on conscious level. What we're talking about is alert, oriented and coherent people. Mm-hmm. And they still get away with this. And I don't understand what obstacles are preventing anything from changing. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we were able to send the last one that physically assaulted me and one of the techs uh, to jail. I just, oh, that's by- I just bypassed psych and called the cops. I'm like, this guy just kicked kicked my tech in the head and he swung at me and I, I dodged it but then he spit in my face so it's he went to jail well that's good right so at least it's, they it's supposed know. to be a, yeah it's supposed yeah. to be an automatic fem- felony but a lot of times you know we'll get oh that wasn't bad enough so if we press charges or take them away we're just going to release them so I, I mean that's not very helpful but fortunately this time you know it was i guess severe enough to to send them to jail yeah because anybody that's voluntary they never want to go to jail right? Jail is not a nice place. You don't get the best <laughs> right. healthcare. Like I remember being at St. Luke's uh, psychiatric place and I dealt with the voluntary. So they, um, they were always scared of jail. We always had that answer. Hey, you know, you can act up and throw that chair, but you know where you're going. And right. so they, they would stop. Uh, the in, involuntary, they don't care. They're so gone. I mean, they don't know. I mean, they're worse than the Joker, right? Some of them, <laughs> <laughs> like it's very severe psychiatric, you know, mental type issues. But um, I liked having that caveat, uh, you know, it made me feel better. What's funny is it's not always just psych, man. Like some people are, it's just entitlement. If they're not getting their yeah. narcotic medication or 
or if they don't agree with the diagnosis that I set forth, like someone will come in with like just abdominal pain and I did a CAT scan and it didn't show anything. And for some reason, me saying that triggers them to me saying they're lying or, you know, maybe they were narcotic seeking. I don't know. I rarely accuse people of that unless it's like very, very obvious. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know if this triggers something inside them, but like they a lot of times get very verbally abusive that there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So if it's like, doesn't fit what they think is going on or if we're not fast enough, if we're not in the room enough, it's, it's uh, this, this entitlement's difficult. And it's hard because I think most people, I didn't understand this before I went into medicine. I went into medicine as a nurse to get a good job and have flexibility and stuff. And then I liked helping people. It was a cherry on top, which is the main reason I stay in it. But I had to get out of bedside because I really struggle with being verbally, physically abused. I struggle with the back pain I have from 13 hours and lifting patients that are 500 pounds. I'm a male. So anytime someone has to be moved, like I could be in the bathroom and people will wait for me to come out. You know, I'm not a small guy, but I don't expect the five foot two, 65 year old nurse to lift these people. So every day I'm like, I mean, that beats you up, man. <laughs> like it's, there's not a healthy way to move people and roll them and, and do all this. And we have so many back injuries in healthcare. We have, you know, that's something totally separate, but just some basic statistics I took from American Journal of Managed Care. 75% of 25,000 workplace assaults are in healthcare. So that's an, an astonishing statistic. Only 30% of nurses and ER docs have reported violence. So it's underreported. The American College of Physicians, nearly seven out of 10 report violence increase in ER settings currently, which probably would be even that, higher. I, I, well, just an increase in it. And so it's, cause I would say in, in residency, which would be what beginning of it, it's almost, wow, almost 10 years ago. Uh, I don't really remember a whole lot of that. And mm -hmm. I would say over the last five or six years, it's been significantly worse. Where is your, where was your residency? Michigan. So, I mean, you uh, okay. still kind of expect. Like in the city? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it's not like any better than Phoenix, if not worse, right? Right. Yeah. Um, what else does it say? So it says 70% of ER docs report violence, only 3% file charges. So I, you know, we don't want to like put people felonies, but if you're hitting staff every week, like what's going to stop it? Right. You know what? And if you're hitting healthcare workers, who else are you hitting? Right. That, yeah. That's probably a good point. Like yeah, if you're I mean, hitting if you can, me. Yeah. If you can go up and hit a stranger who's trying to help you, like where's your line for anything else? I bet you're hitting your wife or your kids or whatever. Like violence is not something that goes to one certain area. It probably bleeds over in other areas. Right. Yeah. And you can say husband too, because I got assaulted by a woman one time. Oh yeah. That's, you know, we, we think guys first and there are definitely females. Um, well, can I bring up the worst story I've ever had? Please. Okay. So I was at that famous hospital. We love, man, love the people, <laughs> love the people. Just another day over there. So <laughs> I had a guy that was in there for pancreatitis due to alcoholism. Right. And mm -hmm. he would come in weekly, which is common, you know, uh, he's there, he's drunk and passed out and I'm putting an IV in and then I was drawing some blood or something. It was like a fourth time I've seen him. His family's there. And he goes, I want pain meds. And I said, well, no, your blood alcohol is 390. And he goes, I don't give a F, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I go, all right, man, you're not getting any. Again, this is like two o'clock. I haven't ate. Um, most patients are okay. I wouldn't say nice. I would say 
30% are nice, <laughs> 30% are kind of okay, <laughs> and then maybe 40% are kind of uh, not having a good day, right? And that's at that hospital. That's that I hospital. Wouldn't, I wouldn't say it in general, but definitely no. at that hospital, that's, that's about the mix. <laughs> I'm guessing, but it's, it's brutal what you get used to. So then I said, no, man, you're not getting pain meds. You're, you're drunk and we don't give pain medicine to people. Again, it's clinically not sound to do. And then, you know, it can cause respiratory distress or something like that to give you opiates. And he was seeking medication. So I said, no. And then he's like, he got pissed, man. And maybe I gave a little bit of a body language, like whatever, like this is stupid or whatever. I didn't say anything. He comes out of his room, man. And he's an African-American, smaller than me. And he starts threatening me, screaming at me. He goes, you're a racist, white piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. Getting in my face, Brandon. I'm bigger than this guy. I felt scared because it was just me. I was like, what do I, do I hit him? Because if I hit him, I'm protecting myself. I'm in trouble. And he's yeah. coming at me, man, with his IV pole ready to hit me. Like, I believe he had criminal charges. And I, I'm like yelling. I'm like, can anyone help? Can anyone help? Right. I call for the cop. Cops never shows up. Not for an hour. Cop doesn't show up. You know what happens? He goes yeah. back to his room. He's still screaming at me. The charge nurse then goes, uh, gets him a sandwich. Gets him a sandwich and jellos and pudding and crackers. Gets Reinforce the behavior. Let's give yeah. him some pain meds. Yeah. And then, then I go, then he's still <laughs> screaming at me in the green zone. Still screaming at me. F you, F you, F you. All this racial banter towards me, which is horrible. And everyone's just like, do, do, do on their wows. Right. And I'm like, you guys don't see this? And she's like, my church nurse goes, well, if you really want to make change, you need to contact the board. This is part of the job. That was my response. And I, I go right I there. That was. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, we could talk off air. And I was like, I was just so baffled. I had to go to red zone, Brandon, because he would still curse at me and threaten me. And there was no reason he shouldn't have been sent to jail. And I go, I, and no one had my back. No one, man. I, I, I just felt so defeated. I was like, I'm just going to go be an accountant. Like, I, and oh, man, it just, it just blows my mind. I like, I want to help, but. Yeah, unfortunately, that's a pretty normal normal happening stand or happening right now so when i was uh referring to that that woman right she she actually ended up making my career in jeopardy over this right so she came in berating staff that she was having uh benzo withdrawals and so benzo for you guys are valium xanax that sort of stuff and when you have a benzo withdrawal you're, you're having seizures and you're you're it's a very mess. apparent this, it's very yes. apparent you can't your, fake your, that yeah. your heart rate's really high it's 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 a mess so this lady's walking, talking, yelling at us, and just screaming that she needs her Xanax. Like, I get it. She probably does. Her body's probably acclimated to it. And um, but she's not in an emergent withdrawal situation where I have to give her these medications. And granted, if she came in saying, hey, I have an appointment in a couple of days. I ran out of Xanax. Can I have one or two just to get me to my doc? I, frequently, I give, I give that. Mm -hmm. When someone comes in, you know, verbally berating everyone, actually like pushing staff, you know, I came in, tried to settle her down, and she came lunging at me when I told her that we're not going to do benzos. So we actually had the police escort her out. And then I get um, about a month later, a letter from the Board of Medicine saying that my license had to be investigated because I had a complaint that I ignored somebody in an emergent situation that was withdrawing from benzos and didn't provide care and abandoned her. So I had to, I had to talk with, a, it wasn't a lawyer, but someone that kind of helps with wordings for these sort of cases and actually draft my own kind of rebuttal and you know I had to it didn't take like weeks or anything but I had to waste time out of my day you know maybe four or five hours to get a rebuttal against this lady that was clearly just 
wanting her benzos and having a bad day and wanted to take it out on everybody. And so it's, it makes the job much, I'm very disenchanted by the job after these sort of things. And how long have you been in emergency medicine total? I started residency in 2012, so okay. eight years ago last month. And that's, you know, we got doctors that have been in emergency medicine for 40 years and you see what they've seen and you see how it's changed. And it is so sad that someone can have any complaint, be anonymous and attack your license so easily. Like where, how does that change? Like that's not, I don't know. It makes you not want to be in medicine. That's probably one of the reasons Mm -hmm. it's driving me and you to not be in the mainstream anymore because it's just not, it's not worth it. Right. I think that's where like the program Yelp has really kind of screwed a lot of things up. So Mm -hmm. like doctors are on Yelp. Mm -hmm. So like if you don't agree with your diagnosis or maybe getting your pain meds or let's say the hospital was really busy and it took four hours to get seen, which, Hey, that's normal in a lot of urban Mm -hmm. settings. Um, You can go on, on Yelp and give a doctor a one star. And uh, I've had to like answer to, to admin about that. Hey, you got a bad review on Yelp what's this all about? And usually I, I don't remember who it is because like they don't see it for a couple months. So it's, it's difficult, but uh, I forgot where I was going with that. What were we talking about right before that? Well, we were talking about like how your license can be yeah, so, so easily. So yeah. So here's, here's the, here's something that happens. So, like if, if you don't quite understand medicine, you can still go and do that. So this is a second time this happened to me. I had a lady that came in to get her, essentially her blood levels checked for her blood thinning medications, right? She had had a, a pulmonary embolism or a blood clot in her lungs like a month before it was on, um, I don't remember what medicine, but we were checking her PT and I, INR, or PTT and INR, so I'm assuming she was on warfarin. But uh, um, so I checked it, she was in the normal levels and I sent her home. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't say anything. And, and then two months later or a month later, I, I get another one of these things saying, he didn't repeat my CT angio of my chest to, to, to see if it had resolved so I could get off the warfarin. And I'm like, that's not something you do in the emergency room, nor did you tell me that that's what you wanted. Like you, you told me you just needed your PT and INR checked. And yeah. like, this is something that your primary doc can do on the outpatient side, because it's not an emergency to recheck someone that's asymptomatic for their, for their blood clot that they had in their lungs a month prior. Like if she came in tachycardic, short of breath, and I had a, you know, an inkling that maybe she had a worsening in the blood clot or a new blood clot. Yeah, you get a CTA, but she was asymptomatic. She just wanted her INR checked. Gosh, oh, it's, uh, this is the problem with healthcare though, right? Cause, so I used to work in sales and I like marketing business. Healthcare is not the same thing as Best Buy. It's not. And, you know, that's why medicine is naturally socializing right now with this is my thing, you know, healthcare is going to have to change because of costs. It's just ballooning. Right. And healthcare is not effective with prevention, things like that, but you're losing all the best providers, the best people, because they're not dealing with insurance anymore. You can't be punished for your patient reviews when you are trying your best. And now you have people that a don't pay for it, right? They have no skin in the game. Medicaid has a good intention, but Mm -hmm. it also creates people that go in every third day because they want a Tylenol or something and people don't see the abuse of this system. And I'm just like, I don't know what the balance is, but things are naturally changing and evolving. Um, because you and I, Brandon, there's so many times I would get off work, man. And I just, I couldn't even talk to a person. I would watch, um, those Netflix with like the earth stuff with the, 
the English guy, you know what I'm talking about? He's got a good voice. Yeah. Like uh, the, what is it? Earth, I forget. Um, Earth. Planet Earth, Planet Earth. Planet Earth. And, and it, then there's like planet, Blue Planet or something yeah, like that. Yeah, all those, man. It was just like, God, I, I can't stand human beings. And I love humans. But when you spend 13 hours, you know, 12 hours, and I actually didn't even take a, a regular 30-minute lunch for, oh, at that place, I didn't for a year because I always felt guilty, even though right. I donated that time. Um, I don't know, man. It's the healthier healthcare workers you have, the better outcomes you're going to have with your patients. Um, mm -hmm. patient satisfaction has been taken to a point where it's affecting reimbursement, which is why it's being pushed so hard. But how do you, how do you satisfy someone that's seeking opiates that we need to be cognizant of that can kill them? So how are we balancing? Like, it's a crazy tipsy topsy turvy, you know, problem. I actually read a study too, uh, piggybacking on that, um, that higher, higher press gainy store scores. So that's patient satisfaction scores actually led to worse patient outcomes because mm. what's your what's your what's your goal right if your right. goal is just patient satisfaction are you just getting them 15 blankets regardless are you are you just giving them uh eight sandwiches even though they should be npo and have surgery tomorrow like right. I, I mean so you it's not healthcare can never be a full business because it is life you, and death right and you can't just tailor care to what the patient wants so they come yeah. in and need x and they're asking for y and you know y can be detrimental like you can't do that yeah and what you're starting to what you're going to see and you are seeing is you're seeing plenty of physicians getting out and i talk to them often like you're getting into business you're going to this like these crazy incidents in nursing made me never want to be a nurse again uh i have so many other avenues i would rather drive uber like and put on the radio and you know, if someone throws up in my car and eh, I'll charge them, get it detailed. Like, just don't hit me. Don't, don't call me names, especially when I'm here to help you. And, um, I don't know, man, the, the amount of, how about workplace bullying? Have you, how about that? You know, that's another topic we can go down, right? The nursing mm -hmm. field in, in itself is, is uh, coworker to coworker bullying or physician, right? How about in residency and, and med school? And, you know, it's kind of a tough environment for people. I, I didn't really get a whole lot of that. I don't know if it's worse on your side. I, I wouldn't say bullying more than like if when you have kind of the watchful eye, if you will, mm. of like administration where it's like, you know, you can't misstep or you can't, you know, if a patient's treating you one way, you really can't say anything because they're watching. Uh, mm. I definitely experienced that over at that hospital with um, the, the, what was her name? No, I don't know her name. I mean, her physician. The, the, were you still there when she came Oh, in? quality? No, stuff? she was oh. fine. The the nursing director of the ER. Oh, still there when she came <laughs> yeah. in? Yeah, oh. yeah, man, it it got bad. She was she was my breaking point when I when yeah. I left that place. Um, essentially, I, so yeah. so I took it upon myself. They had a so in emergency medicine, a doc that can use an ultrasound both can save lives, save time, help ER throughput. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it's got emergency procedures that you can use with it. Uh, emergency diagnostics all the new er docs in the last like five or six years are trained to use it pretty uh pretty in depth their their ultrasound was broken right it didn't work for it didn't work for three months so i took it upon myself with my own money i bought my own ultrasound that connected to an ipad that i bought for this ultrasound solely right mm -hmm. So I talked it over with our boss. I talked it over with the risk management lady. They were a little hesitant because you could, if you enabled it, record people's ultrasounds. 
I disabled that. I didn't have anything being saved. It was all purely diagnostics. Um, and it was fine. They were going to kind of process it through risk and, and make, you know, this is something that's widely used. This, I'm not the first person that bought this. No, no, no. It's and, been. Uh, it's called a Butterfly IQ ultrasound. Thousands of docs in, in the country have it. So I'm using it for about a month or so, right? Um, Nancy. Oh. oh, can we edit that out? Well, it's just yeah. the first name. It's just the first name. It's okay. Yeah, it's we'll, we'll call name. her that. That's yeah. not her real name. <laughs> <laughs> no trouble. But. We call her Crancy. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. So anyway, so yeah. she she comes in. She's like, you can't be using that. And I'm like, listen, I, I spoke with uh, the, the doc that's the head of the ER. I spoke with the risk management lady. We're on an interim basis using it. Mm -hmm. And she just kind of waddles away and, and goes back to her office. Uh, about two weeks later, magically the ultrasound's fixed. This was apparently her doing because she didn't want me to use the ultrasound. I find out later my own ultrasound. And then about a week after that, the risk management lady was out of the office for the week. She knew this. So she brought, some other guy in the risk department that was below her, they came down in the middle of my shift and told me I am not permitted to use this ultrasound anymore. Even though that this guy's boss and my boss said this was okay to continue doing as long as I'm not saving anything. So I just stood up and I told her, well, this is my two week notice. And I never came back there. At least you have the, you know, the confidence and the competency to be like, I'm, I'll just go somewhere else. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. There's never, there's always gonna be a shortage of really good physicians like always, right? Uh, that people that you actually treat the staff well and you get along. You're also a fun guy, which is good in an ER environment, which is not easy. Um, it just sucks the red tape, right? It's not even, uh, I don't know. I know that that was red tape. That was some sort of personal mission she was Yeah, on. Yeah, no, it was, uh, that's what I mean. But I'm just saying like yeah. the best intention by you was you, you covered your, your bases before you even brought it to the table. There was, mm -hmm. And it was about patient care as well as you know, helping the hospital. So it was a win-win-win, but then you have personalities and, I put it the and bill stuff like that. that. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, do you, do you mind saying how much it costs? How much it costs? Uh, so with the alt, with the iPad, mm -hmm. about 2,500 bucks. Dude, so, man. Plus the plus annual membership. I have to pay 300 bucks a year for this software. Okay. I, man, so this is what I hear all the time and know from doctors is they care. But then, then you get this and it's like, Brandon, what makes you coming back? Like, that place nothing no exactly it was, it was the staff and then the staff yeah. all started leaving because of this this director and like the staff like you loved them too like i yeah. loved i loved the staff at that family hospital. that's what kept me yeah, yeah. Family, and they all just kind of slowly started with norm and then everyone, oh, <laughs> everyone just man. sort of dropped off i know and uh that's the only thing that held it together was the mm -hmm. spunky loving family staff and when you have a 95 percent turnover you wonder why like yep. you don't need a study for that you just work your way up and go, oh, this happened. And then you have a spike. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like the masks in COVID in Arizona. Like, here are the numbers. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, let's open up. We don't need to wear masks. Spike, yeah. wear masks, <laughs> decline. Okay. I, yeah, it's like such a sharp number. I'm like, I'm so glad you yeah. the steep start. <laughs> but um, man, I uh, it sucks though, because I did have some great times in the ER. I met some amazing people. Oh, I, I had fantastic times. Um, I've actually met quite a few staff members that have talked to me and opened up because of my PTSD story, but a lot of staff have PTSD from the hospital setting too, you know, whether it's being mm -hmm. abused, whether it's seeing all the death you see, I mean, man, the, you know, I don't know what helped. I think physician suicide is like, isn't it like going way up 
I think it's like three times. Again, I'm just throwing out a stat. That was like two, double or triple the average person or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's just I know position. it's higher, and I know it's higher. Yeah, I know it's it's significantly higher. There was a ER doctor that again, I, you know, I'm not trying to make it like personal, but she she committed suicide with COVID in New York. I can't imagine what she was mm-hmm. going. Through. I remember that early on. That you remember that? Was, yeah, when she was. Uh, I think she had lost like 10 or 12 patients over the course of a week or so and took her life. And I, what was, um, how do you handle like those, like this secondary trauma? Like, how do you handle that? Like when you go home and with your kids and family and stuff? I, I don't, I don't really understand how I handle it to tell you the truth. So okay. um, usually if it's a really bad case, my best, one of my best friends from med school is an ER doc too. So we'll, we'll kind of hash it out or, even uh even weeks in research we'll get on the phone and, and talk about things sometimes uh-huh. um but I, I think i've just gotten to the point where i can care at work right and it really mm-hmm. affects me at work but somehow in that ride home that shower and then seeing my wife and kids like it kind of melts away you know like every mm-hmm. once in a while there's the case of like you know a really kind of young person that passes away or something that just tragically happens that that bothers me for a while but I think I've just gotten to the point where I can kind of shake it off. And hopefully that doesn't mean I'm becoming more numb or, or separated from it, like in a bad way. But mm-hmm. I, I think, I think I've just been able to compartmentalize it a lot better than, than earlier on in the career. I think, uh, I think when I used to see you Brandon in the ER, you were just so cool, calm and collected, right. All the time. And I think I used to take it probably a little bit for apathy, but it wasn't apathy. It was just, that's how you have to be. Mm-hmm. Just because you come into the room frantic does not mean you care the most and you're the most competent because mm-hmm. you've been in a code before. I've been in many where it's so frantic, man. Like, it's like, oh my God, I got to get out of this room. What are you doing? I've had like someone like Langridge, which is one of the best oh, ER physicians Langridge. ever. And he will literally stop it. Like, you know, and he'll run the code. Like, you know, he'll be like, no, yeah. you stop it right now and like set the tone because they're dying. We cannot escalate our emotion we can't it's just not how it works yeah he kicked out crancy from a room (laughs) i I love in a a code um so yeah like this morning so my shift ended at six and at 5 40 code blue right up in the medical surge floor uh those are the worst right yeah because they're not they're i mean the nurses care they know who their patients are they can tell me everything about them but they're not trained they're not trained to run codes they're bls Mm -hmm. certified they're not acls certified Mm -hmm. so you walk in and it's chaos, mm-hmm. right? There's no pads on the patient. There's kind of poor CPR. It's uh, so it's it's tough. So yeah, I had to I had to do the same thing because there's like you know eight people running around the the foyer of the room with their hands in the air, not knowing what to do. And I told them just to leave. Yeah, and right. I, it's almost better. Yeah. I'd rather have three of yeah. us in there than right. three, three people that were working together well and knowing what yeah. they're doing is a lot less mm-hmm. stress. But yeah. It's uh, those were the hardest codes. I love going to them because I feel like I could really actually make a difference. Uh, even the ICU sometimes I'd be like, aren't you all supposed to be critical care? Like, Mm -hmm. do you not know how to do compressions? Like push hard and fast. (laughs) I'd be like, what are you doing? But uh, anyways, yeah, good stories. I do miss uh, the hospital atmosphere. I work more outpatient now, of course, but yeah, I meant to ask you um, when we were talking about the abuse and and uh, even just the emotional stuff behind it. Did, did you f- see a difference of that being in urgent care versus the ER? Yeah, man. I uh, like I would say, oh, God, 
maybe one out of a shift. Like yesterday I had a couple patients, but even the reason why they were upset was probably more justified. Um, one, even yesterday was a spinal cord injury. And this lady, dude, she looks so good. The first thing I started with was a compliment. I mean, I think spinal cord injuries are so sad, you know, cause it's, mm -hmm. it's just, I can't imagine. Um, her skin was like, like looked like, I don't know. It just looked healthy. looks like she moisturized and she's there cause she had a Cossacks, uh, stage one ulcer. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not from not being moved. It's actually from over, uh, use and over exercise and stuff like that, dude. Like I, and she was upset because the front office person wasn't very nice. So I have to see her, right? And she was giving me so much attitude. And I go, I go, look, lady, I care about you. I gave you a compliment. I'm actually proud of you of how you take care of yourself. I'm really proud. You need to relax a bit because this stage one ulcer can get worse. So it took like 10 minutes. But Brandon, for me to get to this point, I had to heal myself, dude, because I used to, I was bullied as a kid and I used to def get defensive very fast. Now I can, I can take a little bit more of the, you know, the initial maybe more justified abuse, but I have to reset it because I have to have a boundary. You can't call me names. You can't abuse me uh, physically. And that doesn't happen in the urgent care, man. Like if it That's does, great. you're out, you're out. I'm, I'm, you know, get out of here. I've had a literally, um, what do you call it? I had a patient, she was having a psychotic break. I said, and I just, I just go, you're leaving. I don't care what's going on. 911 is what your friend is right now. Where the ER. Yeah. If you're yeah. in psychosis, that's not the place to be. Yeah. And I, uh, I really don't send many people to the ER, man, because I, you know, I know what needs to go, what doesn't, but uh, I do appreciate that, man. You know, I miss the ER. I miss the, you know, some of the excitement. I don't need the title to feel cool. I think some of that's there. You know, it's kind of like the cool environment. I never mm -hmm. wore a nurse shirt that said ER with a squiggly line. And <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like trauma team. Yeah. yeah. Trauma team, trauma. And I don't need that to feel good about myself. I just liked the um, variety. I like the personalities that went there. I worked ICU, which some of those people, dude, are so like, they're the accountants. They're so detailed, um, but I was bored. You know, like, I don't care about how many bowel movements they had. Like, I get it. Your eyes and nose. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm like, some of it's pertinent, but some of it's like, well, did you turn them? Did, did you turn them uh, two hours? Yes, I did. It's, it's charted. I got it. Uh, but I, you know, I think people go personality wise, hopefully into the right areas. Cause you do see it where the personality doesn't match the area. And that's not good. Like the emergency room should not be people with anxiety. It should not be people that the really bad micromanagers. Oh yeah. no, there's nothing to micromanage because it's, it's a mess. It's controlled right. chaos. Right. Um, 100%, yeah. One of the best directors I've ever had got her hands dirty. And I'm just going to shout her out because this is a positive, but Joanne, I love her, dude. She's she, the best. She was a critical care nurse. She, dude, I remember two years ago at that hospital, how crazy it was. Like it was six ICU in the ER daily. The flu season was crazy. Do you remember that one? Mm -hmm. Like yep. it was like people dying left and right. I would have two ICU patients. I remember having a, a code white where he's, he's shitting blood out and he's, he's 18. I don't know if he lived. I don't know. I haven't done the transfusion blood. And then next door, AFib RVR, she's 90. And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. Then I have an SI and a chest pain in my other two rooms. And I go, I'm just trying my best, dude. I'm like, yep. and then Joanne's in there helping me, man, because she was a servant leader and I loved it. You know, yeah, like, and that was the best thing about there is you, when I first started working there, like you could rely on anybody else that worked there. It was all very veteran nurses and they all cared. They all wanted to work as a team. And mm -hmm. that was the best part, right? Because you could have a day like that, but you knew that it, your charge nurse Andrea was going to go see two of your patients and get everyone started. Yeah. And she was, Oh my God, Sonny, like Sonny's still there. I, one of my favorite I don't know how people, Sonny does it. 
one of my favorite people of all time, man. Yeah. I just want to go golfing or grab a beer with him. I love him to death. Um, I saw him recently when I was doing the, the study I was a part of. I gave him a big hug with all his, all his COVID gear on and stuff. I love Sonny. And uh, I love the stories of the, the older nurses. Like Sonny was in the HIV era and mm-hmm. got to see the AIDS crisis and how much trauma came from that time. And just, you know, there is a, there is a problem with secondary trauma. You know, like you don't shoulder it. I really don't either. Um, I, I have an on and off switch kind of like I feel it, but I can see someone die then have a sandwich because I need to eat to be ready for my other patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then some nurses go in the break room and they're bawling their eyes out. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, so there's no crying like, in baseball. Well, everyone, yeah. Everyone just handles it differently. No, that is, fortunately that is I'm just, yeah. you know, a little bit, no. I think maybe better equipped, um, to do it. And so some, but some people, yeah, the, the secondary trauma really gets them out of the ER quickly right? Because they can't, they can't see that every day. One of my uh, close friends, he's a pediatric RN, and he's been one for a long time. And I, I never got to see a peds code, man. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I hope I never have to see one. Uh, that just yeah. breaks your heart. And he's seen so many drownings. Uh, he's seen, he tells me, man, he's like, he's been a peds RN for, God, I don't know, five years. And you might know him, actually, we could talk off air, but he's a, he golfs too. You got to get into golfing. But uh, I did it as, I did it as a, man, a whatever man i'm gonna get you out so uh he i talked to him i go dude how do you how do you handle like when you see a six-year-old die of a drowning or you see abuse he saw a lot of abuse Mm -hmm. like gabriel fernandez he saw one where the mom was heavy and she actually had the the imprint of the baby on her back because she rolled over in bed and suffocated her baby and it was full of blood it was like a blood outline on her back i go i go i go bro how do you we're just golfing i'm like what do you how do you do and he goes well I just know I'm doing everything I can. That's all I can do. And mm-hmm. I go, well, you're in the right field, man, because we need people like you. you know? The worst code I ever had to deal with when we're talking about emotional trauma was it sounds like it's from a TV show, right? We, we coded the child of our ICU doc off and on all night. Oh my God. Yeah. So he's oh. just in there. Like I'm a senior resident, right? So he's just in there screaming the kid's name over and over again. And like, cause I mean, think about how scary that because you, you know, what's happening. Like maybe for, for the lay person, they're like, they're doing everything. He's going to be okay. Like he's witnessing us do everything and nothing's making a difference. Right. Yeah. He knows deep down, but he's got to have like begging hope so, or praying. So like or we literally had, not that I was anything at the time, I'm a resident, but we had a PICU doc and two ICU docs, me, and then the, the ICU resident, because I was on the PICU resident, or I was on the PICU team at the time, just working on this kid. I, I want to say it was from when I started my shift at seven all the way to about three in the morning. Oh my God. And then and so what? I, from then on, from three until I got off at seven, I literally just paced the halls of the, the hospital walking. Really? When, after we after we called it, yeah. I, I couldn't sit. And, and then it's even, so not only is it a kid, which it's always harder to, yeah. I can't imagine, dude, like I said, the, the, the youngest I've seen, fortunately, was uh, 19, I think. This kid 18, 19, yeah, I mean, you he see went. He baby. went to, um, and, and this wasn't a sick sick child, he went to daycare that day, mm-hmm. healthy. Do you, he, are you able to talk about what, what caused it, or do we know? So, I, I don't, we don't know, right? So they didn't want to do an autopsy he just said that's not going to help anything the, the only thing i could think of is is something happened with his airway whether he ruptured something like vomiting or something like it mm. he just went down fast 
So yeah, there's no, nothing made sense. We had to put like multiple chest tubes in him and just like a, a traumatic incident that forever changed people's lives, right? Yeah. Yeah, I still remember the kid's name. This was seven years ago. Did you guys even debrief or anything? Yeah, not oh. not to the I, that ended up being my so so in residency you do M and M cases, morbidity mortality, mm-hmm. right? Just to talk about kind of screwed up cases. Not not necessarily that they're anyone's fault or anything like that, just to like you said, kind of vent and process. So that was mine. And usually they're like 10 minutes and we took up, I want to say like 45 minutes in our mm. conference. It was a, it was pretty brutal. Does, has that affected you in your future care at all? Um, I'm a little scared of, of when I, when I hear Pete's, Pete's uh, codes are really sick kids coming in and make it scarred me a little bit in that regard. But yeah, I, I'm, glad, I'm just glad at the time I didn't have kids because I, I think it would have been even worse. Well, you you have two young ones now. I, yeah, can, now can you imagine? My, yeah, my oldest parent? one is that age. Yeah. Yeah, I just she's three and a half. I don't know what what you do or what you say. Um, I'm just hopefully that no one has to deal with it. But it does happen every day, um, unfortunately, across the country. And my dad here, I'll say something real quick. My my dad saw a trauma. Um, my dad's a firefighter and he used to work North Peoria, Sun City, but there was no other fire stations. So he would get a lot of crazy accidents. He's been doing it for 29 years. So he saw a kid die with a traumatic car crash and he just pictured me. I was the same age. Like he literally yeah. saw my face hard during, not to. during that incident. I go, I go, man, I don't, I don't know, like for first responders and things like that, like how many of my buddies are first responders. I got a lot of firefighter buddies and they've got some traumas and stuff, which I'm really passionate about healing and moving on from. But my dad's, I mean, he's seen so much in his own family with me almost dying a few times, the current incident that's going on, which has been horrific, one of the worst weeks of my life. But he, uh, I I don't know. Like, I don't know. Do you think people realize like how that affects you? Do you think, or we just kind of shut it down, bury it? Um, It's interesting because I think people think we're just used to it. Right. But then every once in a while, they'll release those memes of the docs and the nurses crying in the hallway and, and uh, it's, it's spread around Facebook and it makes me not smile because it sucks to see, but like, give me a little bit of a kind of warm inside knowing that, that this is something that they know is not normal to not be reactive to something like this, you know, and I think that's something that I wish all these kind of, like we were talking about earlier, toxic patients realize that, you know, when you're acting like this, perhaps your healthcare provider just went through one of these events and, and they might not be at their best. So mm-hmm. it'd be helpful if, if they could be closer to their best, even though I know it's hard for them too, cause they're in the emergency room for, you know, for stressful reasons. I've got a few cases actually more than I could count of times where I just coded and someone died and that could be an 18 year old, 20 year old, 25 year old, whatever, really young. And that one of those settings, it was a lot of drugs. So we get a lot of young overdoses, which is so sad regardless. Right. And I remember going next door, like, I don't know, not even five minutes after. And like, where's my sandwich? Where have you been? I go, someone just died. And they go, I don't care. And I go, yep. I'm like, you didn't, you didn't hear all the sounds and the, we didn't even debrief. Like, dude, most of the time, 90, 95% of the time, we didn't debrief. I just went right to work because we had other work to do. And I'm like, I still haven't used the bathroom yet. Like, yeah, I think it's important on those kind of cases. Like, Okay, it sucks when like a 90 year old has a cardiac arrest and passed away, but I'm affected a lot less than that. Like, and I think most ER 
uh, staffs as well. But yeah, I think it's really important to debrief when it's something that was tragic that occurred. Not that all deaths aren't tragic, but more tragic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I agree that that you got to be you got to give time to to cool off before you go get berated for a sandwich. Yeah, I just I think I took it too personal to like, you know, you have the ER board or whatever you have the tasks you want to click off. I always wanted to be ready. You know, I was like, boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. I want to be ready. Boom, 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 boom. Like they want, they want satisfaction. They want efficiency. They want speed. At the same time, they want me to scan my medications and they yell at me when it's not scanned right. And I go, well, you, okay. Like most people don't, some nurses don't even know what they're scanning and what the medication does, right. but you're mad at me because I didn't scan it. And I'm like, yeah. I know why I'm giving it and how and the side effects and all this. Anyways, it's just a quick vent, but dude, I think this is a great podcast, man. I, I love it. Like, yeah, it's nice kind of venting and, and shooting the shit about uh, kind of the trauma that we have to deal with and the trauma that we see. Do you, do you think, um, do you think medicine's going to, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's my take. I, I don't see how it's going to get better. Nothing's changed. Yeah. I just right think- now people don't even, don't even believe their scientists and their doctors that there's a pandemic. So what, I mean, what's going to change? Oh my God. That, that, and what sucks dude is you get like the, um, I had to, I had to argue the recent doctor that was on said hydroxychloroquine is a cure. And I go, I wish it was a cure, but it's not. I, I don't understand the fascination with this drug. I, there's so many studies I'm, that show it, it does nothing. I, I, I don't, there's, uh, there's medicine that does, that does stuff. And then there's the, hold on, my dog's pacing. That's no, okay. This is just real life with just a couple dudes. I love it. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't get the fascination with this. It's un- it's unbelievable. Like, it, why did it this was em- become it was embarrassing issue? that they she she said that it was a group of them, and I go, man, I hate having to waste my free time because if it was if it worked, Brandon, there's not conspiracy theories everywhere. Not everything's a conspiracy. Like, it's hydroxychloroquine, azithro, and zinc. Is it hydroxychloroquine? Uh, like we've tried it so many times. I had my mom just asked me to prescribe it, and I go, I'm not prescribing it. Like go to your urgent care or ER, like, you know, like, and this is because of the news. And I go, people think there's a conspiracy that the medical field is against hydroxychloroquine. I'm like, that's a whole nother podcast. We're going to No, I know. And I'm like, (laughs) it hurts us as providers, man, because then that's a, that's a physician that's saying that. And I'm baffled. Like you're, you're giving us a bad name. Like, right. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the people on Capitol Hill. Oh my God, dude. Like it's so frustrating as a provider. I'm like, what? And unreal. Um, it's, it's, it's unreal. Yeah, right. and, and they cite, they cite personal bias, right? Okay. Uh, this lady was, was she a pediatrician, right? And she's saying that she treated, I think it was like 325 patients successfully. Like 350 or something. And like some of them are really sick adults. I'm like, what sick adults are you seeing at your pediatric clinic? <laughs> What's a sick adult? I mean, the <laughs> like, sick adults yeah. are sent to the ER yeah. and admitted to the ICU. Yeah. So how are you tracking these patients that you're giving hydroxychloroquine yeah. to every day? Like, it's, it's funny because like these conspiracy theories, we'll get into it another day, but if you just stop and critically think, mm-hmm. like a, you see a lot of holes very quickly. Oh yeah, it's, it's Swiss cheese to start yeah. and people try to dabble around it. And then I'm like, I have to spend time, when I see a post like that, I will go on there and be like, this is not good, take it down because it needs to stop. I don't I'm, care if it came from Fox of- News. I don't yeah. care. It came from Fox News or CNN. Take it down. Like, yeah, I, I've right gotten now. into a lot of fights with people on social media, unfortunately, about it. And I had to kind of quit doing that. 
Yeah, it's it is hard, but I think like if it's a friend, I had a friend's mom that posted, and she did, she didn't mean anything bad by it. I said, mm-hmm. hey, please take this down; it's not good. Then she asked my opinion, and I messaged her, so it was a better conversation. I said, please take this down because I have people right, right now thinking that our pharmacy boards are against hydroxychloroquine, and like it's a it's helping. Like there's a conspiracy. If that drug worked, man, whatever companies are making it would push that. Right. And the, my favorite part about this is, oh, oh is people think it's big pharma, right? That's behind these studies showing that uh, hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. And so I, how does that and, make sense? They sell for right? So I said, that, I'm like, so I'm like, wouldn't it make more sense if big pharma was the one pushing the hydroxychloroquine, yes, that, right? Pushing yeah. the narrative that it works. Like that doesn't make any uh, sense. Like big pharma is not just against this medicine because they don't like Donald Trump and want and want yeah. the country to fail. Not everything's because Donald Trump takes hydroxychloroquine prophylactically. He also drinks 12 <laughs> diet sodas a day. There's, don't do everything he does, right? Like, like you know what I mean? Uh, what does he eat? Fish filet with the uh, fish filet every day or something without the bread? Or Hamburgers? Like yeah, but without the bread though, I guess. Yeah, he also gets four hours of sleep and is on Twitter at four in the morning. I'm like, I'm like Donald. Good for him, man. If I was 70... 70- <laughs> functioning on four hours of sleep i don't know how i don't know how at that age and he doesn't look i gotta imagine most presidents probably with the weight of everything well they actually care don't you know i I would love to do politics in a in a emotionally not charged way just logic and caring because i don't care Mm -hmm. who's in the office i know you're this way i don't care who's in the office please just do good things that's what i hope um be professional give good speeches please because we need that obama was not the best by any means but if you saw that guy he did care that guy aged like 30 years. I think, I think you could say the same thing for, for W before him. Oh, for sure, right? Like, yeah. oh man. And then, you know, everyone likes to cite these past presidents. I'm like, Bill Clinton. I'm like, I'm like, man, he could play a saxophone, but he was hooking up with staff in the office. Like that he's was a good, good orator either. too. But yeah. And he's, he's much, cool. He's charismatic. He cared. And he's been on Epstein's Island like 26 times. I mean, <laughs> hey, I don't want to say it, but, <laughs> but uh, well, Brandon, I think we're kind of good. This is about our mo here with an hour do you have anything you want to kind of end on uh be kind if you're yeah, in the right? hospital just be kind we're, and, we're we're having bad days too yeah man and we're human beings right we're, we're not right. superheroes we don't have capes uh maybe we, we should but yeah. we don't i understand that you're going through something really traumatic and that's what puts you in the er but we might be as well yeah i had to um recently uh brandon i, I found out my uh brother was in a serious accident, I was at the urgent care. I can't go there. So I was like, all right, I'll keep working. And I had patients be roots me that day. And I'm just like baffled. Like, I don't know if he's going to live and I'm having to push through the shift because if I'm not there, the the urgent care shuts down. So Mm -hmm. people don't know this. Right. So, and I'm going into the room trying to still be empathetic and place this by, you know, this personal thing, but I just found out. Um, then later I had to leave at 11. Focus, man. I don't know, man. I, I try to, remember professionalism and I can't be there and just have positive thoughts in my head. There's still chances he'll be okay. And then it got even worse when it was day like four or five that I had to, we found out at, well, I don't know how much I can talk about it. Basically I had to leave 11, the clinic shut down. I said, Hey, he's dying because the, the ICU charge said he come down. And why would they say that Brandon? Right. Because he's either dying or he's dying. That's it with COVID. So I, I ran down there 95 miles an hour, 90, like an idiot, it going down all the way. And I went in there, man. And then he gave me crap because I wore my badge just because I, you know, I work whatever. And he's like, you're, you're family. You're not staff. I go, I don't care. I need to see because I don't trust your care. And then he, he took me in. I go in and I go, I go, 
it was so atrocious, man. And I was just, I thought he died. Like I was just praying on my way there. I'm not even super religious. I'm more spiritual and whatever, but like, dude, it was, it was like one of the worst days ever. Cause I have no control. Like, what do you do with this kid? That's like way smarter, way more emotionally mature than me. I just golfed with them two days prior to this accident. I'm just like, you know, I yeah. mean, what, I don't know, man. And uh, yeah, I don't know how you process that. You have no, you have no information with which to process it. It's just get here now. Right. Yeah. And of course then, you're like, assume the worst. I, I didn't hit anybody. I didn't call names. I didn't raise my voice. I was calm. I tried to be, I, I look for every positive during this situation because there's enough negative, right? If there's still hope, I'm not going to grieve yet. Um, that's how I look at it. And then I've tried to harness more the, the Navy SEAL type mindset. I read a lot of their books because those guys were trained to kill someone with their bare hands. And then the next split second, pick up the grandma from the ground. Mm -hmm. um, that sticks with me. So you're able to not project or deflect your emotion because of what you're dealing with. And I think that's a really important skill that probably both of us, you know, lead with, right. We have to go from the next room to the next and try not to carry that baggage forward. Right. So you can't carry what happened in the last room to the next no. room or your personal life, right. If you're getting a divorce or whatever, your kid's sick, like, yeah. I mean, it's hard. You can't, right? Because we, you, yeah, and you can tell when some providers or, or nurses are going through something because they're they're visibly different. But you have to try to maintain normalcy because it's potentially life or death, you know. Yeah. So, it's uh, man, this is a good episode, man. I just want to shout out to like our again our places you reach us, but www.jackpod.com. That's gonna get much better. It's like a halfway website right now. Uh, the YouTube <laughs> channel, right? The YouTube yeah. channel is um. Just a couple dudes with the K, Instagram, Facebook, you can see us. We're on six platforms. So Podbean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, uh, Apple. Apple. Yeah. And then you got, I don't know if you want to shout out a few of your things, man. Oh, yeah. I'm working on a health platform, wealthy.com, where we're doing a community health, um, kind of kind of preventative wellness, essentially. But we've... Uh, since since March, when all this stuff broke out, really have pivoted our focus towards uh, the the pandemic and doing surveillance and recovery and data tracing and um, all that sort of stuff. And we started a, a blog uh, there where we focus on more kind of data driven stuff, and we try to keep you know all the political noise that we're getting with with this pandemic completely out of it, and just try to promote actual you know information that people can can process and then we started also a podcast where we're doing some of the kind of similar stuff and that's the wealthy.com w-e-l-f-i-e.com three words right now yeah i love it man we had a great one on the sports i seriously it was really cool yeah. to get five guys to get, was it five was it five five guys to go yeah, yeah it, was it was five, five guys was, and we well, didn't over speak we were yeah. humble and it was just good info so closer for the nationals team doc for the atlanta falcons it was mm -hmm. a and then of course myself frank and my cousin jared yeah i gotta get up jared on here man we gotta get jared oh, on. he's, be a good he's time. great yeah, yeah he's great but i ended with a quote and then i'll stop recording but this quote is just anonymous i just googled it real quick but remember it all every insult every tear i think uh forgive but don't forget right yeah i always like that kind of thought process but anyways reach us uh, online guys and thanks for coming on all right thanks guys Thank you for tuning in to another can't-miss episode of Just a Couple Dudes or Jacked Podcast. We're new on Twitter, so please give us a follow at at jakdpod. On Instagram, you can follow us at jakd underscore podcast. And we have a new YouTube channel set up at Just a Couple Dudes, and that's couple with a K. We also have a website, jakdpod.com, with a new store set up where you can check out our merch and other fun items that we're going to be putting up. 
So please give us a follow, check out our website, and tune in for the next podcast that we'll be releasing shortly. Thanks. Thanks.